0: You're listening to the Lompoc Foursquare Church Podcast. I I just want to remind you, we've been in a series called Divine Direction. We've talked about the indecisiveness of some people. I told you a story about someone who's half my age, and I asked them, are you indecisive? And they said, well, yes and no. And uh, (laughs) I talked to you about studies that have been done about children that are so programmed today, they have a hard time making a decision because, um, you know, we, we program everything for them. You're going to go here now, Johnny, and you're going to go do this, Johnny, and you're going to do that, Johnny, and then we stick them in front of little screens to keep them occupied. And, and so uh, Forbes magazine did a great study about people coming out in the job market that are having a hard time actually accepting a job other than what they want to do or like to do, a job that makes a difference, and a job where they can make adequate money. We talked about the fact, too, that... Um, the Apostle Paul last week was led by the Spirit. Remember the word in the Greek was deo-ho-numa, where the Spirit was compelling him or breathing on him. We used the illustration of a, a ski boat that was pulling a skier or a wakeboarder. And, and he was saying that the, the, the life that I feel compelled to live is being pulled in one direction. Sure, you can go out of the wake or you can kind of hang around behind the boat, but it's a lane that that boat creates. And he was saying, there's a lane that the Spirit's creating for me that I'm willing to leave Ephesus, a place that I love, that I'm comfortable in, willing to go to Jerusalem, even though I have certain uncertainty. I don't know exactly what's going to be there for me, but I'm willing to go because the Holy Spirit is compelling me to go. Uh, In your notes, to step towards something new, you have to step away from something old. And I know you might go, really? Duh. Uh, But isn't it true that the old can hold on to us? The past can grip us. The past can uh, cause us to say, you know what, I didn't get it done then, I'm probably not going to get it done now, or I might not amount to much, or maybe we're afraid because of something in our past. We're, we're afraid to start a new job or a new ministry, or, or excuse me for bringing it up again, but maybe to start tithing and trusting God. Or maybe, um, you know, as we had this last week, opportunities for people to learn about foster care or adopting a child, or, or maybe it's to serve the school nearest your house. Maybe it's to help a neighbor. Maybe it's to start a Bible study. Maybe it's to start a prayer group. Maybe it's to meet with other people in the military for coffee and just say, how can we support each other? How can we pray together? Maybe it's an educator. We have a lot of educators in our church. And maybe to just start a group and somebody says, well, the church should do that. And I'd like to push it back on you and say, how about you doing that? Um, Some of the best groups I've ever seen happen. Even though we have small group signups today, some of the best ones are kind of organic that start with, from within where people meet together on their own. I know first responders who hang out together and, and barbecue together just to encourage each other or, or maybe even to pray together or have Bible studies together. But see, the important point is that you may not know what is going to happen when you try, but if you do not try, nothing will ever happen. Um, you're sitting in a, in a building that wasn't here and I could bore you with the stories about how this got built and how this got expanded. I I would just bore you to death. I mean, bore you to tears, pastor, the old stories again and again. But I think about people who prayed and gave and served, and I think about a time where over 10 times the city said, you cannot build on this site. And I said, okay, well, we'll go buy property outside the city limits. And we Looked at the property outside by Sweeney Road, and we were ready to go, ten and a half acres. Woo-hoo, Farmer Bernie, I was ready. I saw the tractor in my future and a tree farm for our youth, and I saw it all. And and that closed the door, and and they said, you can't build, you can't build. And finally, just because of sweat and determination and the fact that I'm persistent and God is really, really good and really, really powerful— we're, we're here. And by the way, when we put the AC in, people said, What a waste of money. <laughs> it was 75000 What a waste of money. What a waste of money. What a waste of money. Okay, I'm. But can I, can I tell you that Paul taught us last week that there will be predictable opposition? Whenever you move forward, there's always somebody who say, "We don't like that. Five years ago, 10 years ago, I remember when. Hmm. Now let me give you the story about a guy named Nehemiah. If you have a Bible, we're going to go to Nehemiah chapter 1. We're going to look at this man because um, there's a great backstory. If you're a church person, you probably know everything there is to know about Nehemiah, but but let's pretend you're not for a moment. Um, He's going to the children of Israel who... Decided not to obey God, and God allowed the Babylonians to overtake them, to knock down their walls, to to burn their gates, to ruin their economy, to tear down their temple, their place of worship. And 140 years now have passed, and they start to go look back at their Jerusalem. And they're embarrassed. They're disgraced. And if you understand Bible times, if you didn't have a wall of fortification, that meant You were open to every thief, every crook, anybody that wanted to come in and overthrow you. And so there was something in Nehemiah's heart. We're going to call it a burden, a heavy weight, a calling. You ever heard that word burden? Um, It's where you can't sleep at night. It's where something inside of you says, I got to do something about the problem. I I can't let it be the way it is. It might be your organization, your school. It might be your unit in the military or, or wherever you serve. It might be your neighborhood, it might be your family, it might be your marriage. I just can't let things go the way that they're going. And there's something deep inside of Nehemiah that we're going to call this burden. See, your divine burden, that which your heart aches on behalf of God, often reveals something that God wants you to do. And I'm going to tell you this, just a little fired up here, there's a lot of stuff going on in our community and in our world where we could simply say, I don't like it, but let someone else do it. And I've found of late, especially of late, there's not a whole lot of someones anymore. There's not a whole lot of someones. Well, someone will do it. Someday it'll happen. And pretty soon everything changes. Not always for the better. Sometimes you have to speak up. You might be the only voice. Sometimes you have to go to your kid's school and say, I'm here to volunteer. You can go and complain all day, but to show up and say, I'm here to help, that makes a difference. I was talking to a gentleman the other night, I went to the uh, Lompoc Braves game Friday night, I took my grandson, we had a good time. It really wasn't a game, 42-7 to 7 against the Pomo. really wasn't a game. I mean, when you've got you know, three touchdowns in the first eight minutes, really wasn't a game. It was more like Lompoc was having practice, the Pomo showed up, you know what I mean? Oh, but I have to tell you, after the game was over, we went on the field, we got to see some of the players that we know so well and hug on them and love some of the families. And I, I saw these three guys from the Pomo. They were down and dejected. And I looked in the eyes of all three of them and I said, hey, hey, forget the score. Now, you probably say, well, forget the score? Yeah, forget the score. You were awesome. They had a couple guys run the ball. Now, it's not their fault that nine Braves were on them when they were running. <laughs> yeah. Nine to one odds, come on, who's going who's to win that? But they had some great players, and this one guy broke free for a touchdown. You should have felt the brave fans, oh my gosh, one touchdown. But it was, it was, it was, it was a good run, and I got to look in his eyes and say, way to go, man, you, you got moves, and he, I do? I mean, come on. And so, uh, you know, you, you got fired up, and while I'm there, a gentleman says to me, uh, oh yeah, did you hear about ASO? I said, what? He goes, they don't have enough coaches. Really? No one called us, and I thought I don't know anything about soccer. I'd make a lousy coach, soccer coach. I make a worse referee, by the way. Actually, I just yeah. But but I have to tell you this. I wonder. I wonder in the body of Christ in Lompoc, how many coaches might be there? Are people that are saying I'm willing, I'm willing to step up. I'm willing to help. I'm willing to tutor a young person. I was reading an article um, about a guy. He's in his 80s, and he was a welder all his life, and. And he felt a burden for young people, so he started inviting them to his garage, and, and he had two kids come. And he said, if you guys will read the Bible with me and do devotions with me, then I will teach you how to weld. And so he's giving them the Word of God, and then they're, they're learning how to weld. And from two, now he's gone to 12. There's guys that are making backyard art out of metal, and, and other kids are taking bicycle frames and redoing them. And one guy brought a motorcycle in and they're actually re- refabricating this whole motorcycle um, from welding. What's happening? This older gentleman who thought, well, you know, I'm in my sunset years, whatever that means. I- I'm going to utilize what I've been given as a talent and a trait and I'm going to pour into the next generation and I'm going to give them skills on how to read their Bible and do their devotions. I'm going to give them Jesus and I'm going to give them a trade. And I go, wow. I know you're all excited about that, but I, I just, I-, I got excited about it. Because sometimes we feel like we don't have the goods. Did you know Nehemiah was a cupbearer for the king? Cupbearer. That means he got to taste the wine before the king got it. Sign me up for that. No, no. He didn't taste it for quality, he tasted it for poison. Because if they were trying to put poison in the king's wine to kill the king, it was up to Nehemiah to go, hmm, swallow it, not just spit it out, swallow it and they don't watch Nehemiah. And if he was still standing after you know, 30 minutes, uh, the king would then drink the wine. If the cupbearer died, they'd pull him off the scene, put a new cupbearer in, and that was the job of the cupbearer. Anybody want to sign up? What qualifications did he have to build a wall? I'll, I'll tell you what qualifications is. God put something deep on his heart. If God places something on your heart and gives you a burden, it's because he trusts you to do something about it. Some of you see things that other people don't see at your work, in your neighborhood, in the the military that you're involved in, at the school you go to. They, They don't see what you see. And you go, oh, I'm perceptive. You know why you're perceptive? God wants you to see it. God wants you to have a burden for it. In Nehemiah 1, verse 4 and 6, he said, when I heard these things, Nehemiah talking, I had to sit down because he was overwhelmed and he weeps. And for some days I mourned and I fasted and I prayed before God of heaven. And then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God. Now notice, he's not talking about Nehemiah, the great and awesome cupbearer. He's not saying how great Israel is because God knows that they rebelled against him. What he's saying is, I know who you are. By the way, a great thing for us when we have anything on us, like a burden or a weight or a calling to say, God, I know who you are and I I trust you. You're the God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes hear the prayer your servant is praying. What was he praying for? His personal success? No. No. He was praying for the success of Israel as they rebuild their wall. He was praying that God would give him favor with the king who had to release him from being the cupbearer to go build a wall and give him the paperwork that would allow him to to travel over different borders. It was 850 miles from Susa where he was to go to Jerusalem. Now, the first thing we need to do when we have a burden or a calling is we need to take it to God. Now, it sounds simple. But I can tell you, I, I know people who didn't take whatever they were about to do to God. They just went ahead and tried to do it. Or they didn't do anything because they were afraid and their past dictated their future. Take it, take it to God. Nehemiah 1.11, give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man, again the king. Let the king be behind what I do. Let the powers that be give me approval to do what it is I want to do. That's what he's saying. The second thing is start small, but start now. Not everybody ever gets started. Not everybody ever gets started. And in the case of the man who was the welder, when he started with two students, it's all he could get. He could have said, it's too small, I'm out. But I love the words of Zechariah, verse 4 and 10 says, do not despise these small beginnings for the Lord rejoices to see what? The, The work begin. The Lord rejoices. You know, I believe God rejoices today. And as a church, we're giving away our offering to Texas. I think God rejoices in that. And God keeps really good books. I just want you to know that. Now, in Nehemiah's case, you hear, he built the wall. But you have to go back in the steps. Um, leadership lessons from Nehemiah are profound. I'm going to do a class in a couple months from now on the lessons of leadership from Nehemiah, and I think it'll be helpful. But we have to go back and trace the steps. First of all, he had a burden. Second of all, he had to pack his bags. He had to get the toothbrush and the right little thing. Come on. If you travel, you know what I mean. He had to have have his, his toiletries together. He had to have his lotion and his shampoo in little bottles for TSA. You know, come on. And then he had to go through another step. They had to work their tails off. At one point, they're fighting with a sword in one hand and a trowel. They're building the wall in another. He had to motivate people who got discouraged. If you're a leader, you know what that is. He had to motivate people who got really discouraged. I was talking to a teacher who said, I had to motivate my kids this week. Our classroom was so hot, and they didn't want to learn. And one child raised his hand, I think third grade, and said, my mommy said, if it gets too hot, our brains shut down. And and then some old codger like me said, well, when we were little, we didn't have AC either. we walked to school with one shoe, one way uphill. Anyway, forget it. <laughs> but trace the steps of Nehemiah and all the efforts that it took for him to get to the wall, to, to motivate the people. Fight for your brothers. Fight for your sisters. Don't give up. Don't give up. You take the steps back. It's an 850-mile trip. Don't give up. I met with a, a pastor some time ago who... Um, was trying to move their church forward. And remember I said last week, everybody likes change until change happens. And uh, the words of great Mark Twain, nobody likes change except uh, a wet baby. And uh, that's true too, right? And this pastor was telling me how every time they try to move forward, there's a group of about three people who say we don't want to make change. And uh, I said, well, what's, what's the history? And they said, well, the last five pastors have had to face these three people too. I said, well, how's that working for you? This is not working for me. I said, pray really hard that those three people get blessed with lots of money and have to move. <laughs> you don't want, you know, their demise at you just want them blessed. Like, pray they get blessed and move to Florida. And uh, you might go, Pastor, why would you say that? Be, be, because there are people who, whether they're in church or whether they they, they work where you work, or whether they work for the city, or they, 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 they work in your firm, or or there are they're, they're people that are around you. There are people that simply don't like things to go well. Have you noticed this? Yeah. Well, Nehemiah has this. Matter of fact, he's got to motivate the people in chapter 2, verse 17 and 18. I said to the people, you, you see the trouble we're in Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates are burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and listen, we will no longer be in disgrace. There's a better day coming. There's a preferable future for us. This is not all there is. And I also told them about the gracious hand of my God. I told them how great God was and that the king had approved this and they all replied. What did they say? Let let someone do it. Come on. No, let us together start rebuilding. So they began to do this great, good work together. See, you don't have to have the faith to finish. You just have to have the faith to start. When you look at the obstacle in front of you, you don't have to have the faith to finish it. Just just start somewhere. Maybe maybe it's a, a burden to pay off some debt you have. Someone asked me recently, Pastor B, do you know what a good investment would be? I said, yes, the best investment you'll ever make is in your own debt. Shh, it's quiet in here. (laughs) Yeah. Because you can get a better return paying off loans that you have than you you will put money in the bank. Did you know that? Somebody said, well, I've got some credit card debt. It's only like 11%. I said, well, are you kidding me? You can't get that in the bank guaranteed. By the way, you want a guaranteed return on your investment? Invest in your debt. Somebody said, what should I do? I said, we could make extra principal payments on our house. Oh, no. We have a 30-year mortgage. We like it like that. Really? Why not pay it off in 15? Well, what would I do with the money? I don't know. It doesn't matter. Huh? Yeah. I know a young couple in our church. They had a 30-year mortgage and they refinanced to 15. They didn't touch any equity. Wow. They're young. In 15 years, they'll have it paid off. They've already been in it at five. They got 10 more years. They'll be younger than most of you in this room. They're going to have their house paid off. Woo! And she, I said, well, What are you guys going to do then? Oh, anything we want. I said, Don't forget your local church. <laughs> and he said, well, We could double tithe then. Yes, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Well, what kind of difference can you make? Let me let me just tell you a story. Ed Kimball invited a young shoe salesman named Dwight L. Moody. Some of you have heard about Moody. To give his life to Christ, and Moody did. And Moody became someone who preached Christ even in the shoe store. And then became a great crusader, an evangelist. He invited a man named Jay Chapman give his life to Christ, and Chapman did. He became a disciple of Christ, and he eventually invited a baseball player named Billy Sunday. Isn't that a great name for a preacher, Sunday, to give his life to Jesus? And he did. And Billy Sunday started working in the YMCA, and one night he had an evangelist at Crusade, and he invited a preacher to come preach with him, a preacher by the name of Mordecai Ham. I like that name. Mordecai Ham. And Mordecai Ham got up to preach. And there was a young 16-year-old kid in the back of the tent revival. His name was Billy Graham. And he gave his life to Jesus. (laughs) And then in 1972 at the Texas Expo, Billy Graham got up to speak and call people forward to come to Christ. And he also said, I'm calling people forward who feel a call to go into ministry. And a dear friend of mine, some of you may know his name. He's actually preacher, Wayne Cordero. He was there. When Billy Graham preached, he was 19 years of age. And and today, at the young age of 65, Wayne has four Bible colleges, 129 churches he oversees, doing a phenomenal work, still writing books, still speaking to young leaders, all because one guy named Ed Kimball invited Dwight Moody to give his life to Christ in a shoe store. What what can you do? What difference can you make? Just, Just one person. Nehemiah was just one person. He took it to God. He had the faith to start. And as he did, God gave him the faith to finish. But then the next thing is we have to take the next step. Beyond whatever that first step is, take the next step. Nehemiah 2, 19 and 20, when some Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. Remember this. You will have predictable opposition whenever you do anything good for God. Some of the opposition will come from yourself because you'll, you won't believe yourself. You'll go to your husband or your wife. You'll say, honey, we are destined for greater things together. And one of you will say, yeah, right, based on our history and come on. Or maybe you'll go to a teacher and say, this year is going to be my best year ever. And their teacher going to say, yeah, right. Or maybe you go to the coach, coach, put me in. I'll, I'll do something good this time. Yeah, right. Listen, whenever you want to do something good for yourself, something good for your family and friends, something good for God, there will always be predictable opposition. I'm telling you, it's everywhere. And it seems like this time we live in now, it raises its ugly head all the more. Throw out something positive, there's 50 people throw out something negative. And just say, well, that's okay. You guys are entitled to your opinion. I'll move on. And just keep moving forward in the midst of whatever that you face. Hey, what is it that you guys are doing, they ask? Are you rebelling against the king? Remember, he got the king's permission. I answered them by saying, the God of, come on, this is good, the God of heaven will, you wanna talk about faith, give us success. We, his servants, will start building. And they made fun of the wall. They said that wall is so weak that if a fox walked on the wall, it would knock down. Think about this cupbearer. Think about his journey. Did he have to pack his bags? Did he have to go see the king? Did he have to believe? There was a moment where they had to set the foundation, the footings, had to compact the soil, and at some point, somebody had to set the first stone. I read the cupbearer's manuals. There's nothing about plumb lines, or level. It was about bond beam. It wasn't about filling the block. I mean, this, 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 this is archaic methods, but you had to know what you were doing. And not only did they do it, they built the wall in 52 days. And we could all say, okay, project completed. No, then they had to rebuild the temple. Then they had to rebuild the economy. Then they had to rebuild the culture. Then they had to rebuild a passion for God so this wouldn't happen again seems like the secret I want to share with you is that with God leading your life, with God providing you divine destination, you never arrive. You just keep going, keep evolving. You just keep becoming. I love St. Francis of Assisi who said, start doing what's necessary, then what's possible, and suddenly you'll be doing the, the impossible. Now, now, real quick, let me, uh, uh, I know I've got three minutes, but... I brought this board out here, didn't have time last service. So the guys will go, why'd you bring it out? So I gotta at least do something for them. The, the, the first thing I, I want to write, it, this is where it starts. And this is called discern. Discern what God is, is saying to you. Discern where He's speaking to you. What 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 is the burden that's on your heart? What's the calling of your life? Well, I've just been doing the same thing I've been doing forever, and it, it's working for me. But, but is God calling you to something other, something more, something different? What, 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 what's he calling you to do? And the second thing is, um, is people don't like this word. It's called planning. People don't like this word. But the old phrase was, um, plan your work, then work your plan. Planning. Pl- plan- planning. And under planning, um, what will my first steps be? What, what, what faith do I need to have to start? And then, and then who? Who can help me get where I need to go? What, what, what's the calling that maybe someone else has as well that we can, we can link up in? Remember, when the question is asked, what does God want me to do? Here's what we said in this series. Who is more important than do, and why is more important than what? You all remember that, right? Who is more important than do? In other words, who you are and who you're becoming is more important than what you produce. And I've been talking to some leaders lately and telling them, you've got to remind your organization that who they are is more important than what they produce. Because if character and heart and passion aren't there, we're going to produce stuff and we will grow weary in doing well and we will burn out. But if you understand who you are supposed to become, who is more important than do, and why is more important than what? Why are we doing what we're doing? God, why are you putting this burden on me? Not why, Lord, why me, but but why? Why are you asking me to do this? And we begin to plan and have the right faith. And and then then the, the, the third thing is is to progress. We have to move forward. After all is said and done, there's more said than done. I sat in meetings once, I won't tell you where. I sat in meetings for 14 months with a group of people said, We are going to do, we're going to, we're, this is going to happen. And I quit going. Because after 14 months, they didn't do anything. I thought, What on tarnation am I meeting with you guys for? You know? And I was bringing them my best stuff. Now, my best stuff isn't great, but I was bringing them something to the table. Everybody just there and said, "What time is lunch?" Fourteen months of meetings and we did absolutely zero. Okay, sorry. They were all getting funding. Okay, good. Glad they were getting their funding. I just came over here and let's let's do something else. Okay, uh, progress. Then then we need to assess always. Is this working? Is this making a difference? How are we doing on building the wall? What am I doing? And then what needs to change? Oh, by the way, what needs to change is not what do other people need to change. What do I need to change in me? And then you take it back up here to discernment again. So we start at the top, Lord. What are you saying? What am I hearing you say? Every time I read the Bible, every time I go to church... Every time I pray with somebody, I keep hearing the same stuff over and over. God's trying to get through your, 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 your soft skull, right? Right? Uh, and and what, what's the burden to call? And then you move it over to planning. Lord, what kind of faith do I need to take the first steps? And then who can help me get where I need to go? And then, Lord, we're going to make progress. And we're going to map our progress to see how we're doing. And then we're going to assess where we need to change. And then where are we going to go? Like Nehemiah did. Back to the Lord. Lord, what do we need to do differently uh, in this? And if I had time, we would develop this more, but you're so smart and it's warm. You got it, right? Yeah, we got it. When you start, you will most likely overestimate your success here. When you come out of the gate, man, come on, your first day working out, I'm going to work out three hours a day and lose 80 pounds. We always overestimate our success but we always underestimate our long-term faithfulness and what it produces. To constantly be faithful in all things. We will vastly underestimate what God will do in us and through us in a lifetime of faithfulness. Last but not least, and we'll pray, Galatians 6:9. Do not, let's read it, grow weary in doing good. For at the proper time, at the proper time, We will reap a harvest if we do not give up. I purposely repeat it at the proper time. We will reap if we do not give up as we keep moving forward in all things. Respond to what God is calling you to do. It could be spend more time with your kids. It could be invest in the next generation. It could be find someone at work that you see has potential that that just needs somebody to invest in them or to speak to them or make a difference in their life. Thank you for listening to Lompoc Foursquare Church's podcast. To find out more about Lompoc Foursquare Church or to watch us live online, please visit mylfc.com.